Okay, now we can get into our message. Is everybody okay with that? Yeah. A lot of announcements today. That's why I didn't make Jana do it. I needed, I needed to, we needed to get some stuff uh, out there before we started. But we're going through our values. Last week we talked about mission and how we're all on mission. And it's not a matter of being a missionary. It's about all, each and every one of us is on mission with Jesus Christ wherever we're at. And today we're going to talk about our next value as a church and it's transformation. Transformation is a huge Christian word that we use a lot, but I don't know how, how well we understand this word. Um, transformation comes from a passage in the Bible from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. And what I need you to do is turn to this, this chapter with me, Romans chapter 12, and we're going to stay there this whole time. And then when we're done, um, well, after the message you can close it, but I need you to keep your finger on the passage throughout the message because we're kind of staying right here this whole time. So uh, let me pray for the service. Lord God, I just thank you for all that you're doing through this church. Thank you for the exciting stuff that's coming up. Lord, I pray that even with all the programming and all of the events that are coming up, we wouldn't forget. Uh, what's most important is still our relationship with you. What's most important isn't what we do on the outside, but who you're creating us to be on the inside. So Lord, I pray that we would be challenged by this passage from the Apostle Paul. Pray that you would give us understanding. Pray you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. And Lord, we just do this all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, so I'm going to read this to you, and then we're going to read through it a whole bunch of times throughout this. If you don't know this passage, which there's nothing wrong with that, this is a very popular passage. If you don't know it, um, underline it in your Bible. If you're using one of our black Bibles from the chair, underline it in that Bible too. This is a good one. This is a good one. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, this is one of the hardest messages I've ever had to prepare for. And the reason is because it's so rich. The book of Romans in general is so rich that to try and explain the crux, the cornerstone of the gospel through Romans in 25 minutes <laughs> is almost impossible. So forgive me if we go a little bit over and forgive me if I go into teaching mode rather than, you know, happy preacher mode, okay? I don't really have a ton of nice, funny illustrations today. I, this is so rich, I just we got to stick right to the word. And, and so if I turn a little bit into teacher mode, please have grace with me. Um, this is a teaching segment. See, Romans 12, we, we, a lot of us know this passage. How many of you are familiar with this passage? Many of you, okay. Um, this is a kind of a cornerstone passage of Christianity, what it means to walk with Jesus. But see, Romans chapter 12 comes after an incredible explanation, the best Gospel explanation in the Bible is Romans chapter 1 through chapter 11. See, Romans chapter 1 through chapter 11 is the closest thing we have to systematic theology or, or what we know about our relationship with God in the Bible. Paul has a lot of letters, but there's no book where Paul says, this is exactly what we believe, note by note, dot by dot. That doesn't happen. What he does is he explains letters. But Romans, his letter to the church in Rome is the closest thing we have to a clear, concise gospel. And so to start at chapter 12, 
at the very end of it is really, really difficult and almost misleading if we don't do at least a basic summary of what took place beforehand. Because this is who we are in Christ is explained here in Romans. And we can't miss that. So, two quick definitions. Conform versus transform. If I was going to conform something, the best definition I know is that means that there's outside pressure pushing me to become something. Now, we live in a world of outside pressure. We live in a world where we are constantly being pressed into different shapes. The media, friends, family, schools, they are trying to make us into a shape. Not all of them are bad shapes. There's passages in the New Testament where they say, be conformed to the image of Jesus. Other passages from Paul in a different context says, put on Christ. There's nothing wrong. Conform is not a bad word. It just means you're being formed into something. But what Paul is saying in this is we have gotten to a place where being conformed into the pattern of this world, which means the world is shaping us to look and act like itself. And then transform is a word that comes from the word metamorphosis. How many of you remember like fourth grade biology science class? Metamorphosis, what do you think of? Butterfly. Butterfly. Yeah. I don't think there's another one. What's another word you think of? There's nothing. It's butterfly. Caterpillar becomes a butterfly. That's metamorphosis. And see, from a biblical stand, it's the same word. But what, what Paul is saying is we are being transformed from the inside. So rather than the conformation, when we get conformed, that's outside pressure forming us and pushing us into something. But being transformed is when we are being changed from the inside out from an inward power. The crux of this message in general is we are being shaped, each one of us. Nobody escapes this. We are being shaped. Something is shaping us. And the question is, and why transformation is one of the values, one of the things we treasure as a church, is we ask the question, what is shaping you? Are we being shaped by Jesus, or are we still being shaped by this world? We live in a culture where it's a very, we're very outwardly. We look on what's on the outside, and it hasn't escaped the church. It's not just outside of these walls. But in general, we live in a world where you see somebody, you like how they look, and you say, I want to look like that. Girls, this is a fact. There is images thrown in front of you all day, every day, that say this is what you're supposed to look like. What can you do to look like this? Totally photoshopped. Not real, but that's what you're supposed to look like. Men, we have an idea of what we're supposed to look like. You have to be successful. You have to have possession. You have to have a happy family. These are things that we feel like we're supposed to look like. It's an outward form that we go, hmm, that must be what I'm supposed to look like. What do I do to look like that? And what Paul's getting at is even though we have all these voices in the world telling us outwardly what we're supposed to look like and how we're supposed to feel and, and what my life is supposed to represent, Jesus is saying that none of those things matter because all those things are focused on pleasing somebody besides God. And as we look at what it means to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, it all goes back to how does God see me? In a culture where we spend a large amount, if not all of our time, worried about how other people see us, Paul's asking the question, how does Jesus see you? And he doesn't leave it unanswered. In fact, he just answered it in chapters 1 through 11, and we're going to skim through it. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be like a sprint. We're going to run really, really fast through Romans. It's going to be awesome. 
You're going to be tired when I'm done. <laughs> I'm not going to breathe. I already counted. I can go two minutes without breathing. So we're going to make it happen. But the fact is that what Paul's asking is he's saying in the midst of all of these voices telling us how we're supposed to look, what our lives are supposed to represent, what does Jesus think of you? Is Jesus the one shaping you? So we looked at Romans 12, 1 and 2. I still want you to keep your finger there because what we're going to do is we're going to look at what it looks like to be transformed. And in your blanks, you're going to see a why, a how, and then a purpose. The first why you'll find in your blanks is a response to God's mercy. We become transformed because of what God has done. That is the reason we do it. God has done something in our lives and that, so that we can trust him with our lives. This is where without going backwards, we cannot understand what's going on. Mercy is the word. Some translations say, I beg you in view of God's mercy... Offer your bodies a living sacrifice. Some of yours say, um, I beseech you. I don't know what that word means. Shakespeare knows what it means. I don't know what it means, but I'm assuming it means beg. Some of them say, I plead with you. The ESV says, I appeal to you. What's Paul trying to say? This is very, very important because of everything I just said, I am begging you. Be in view of God's mercy. That makes us go like this. What's God's mercy? I want to show you what God's mercy is. Mercy, just in general, mercy means that we didn't get something that we deserve. Romans goes through kind of a pattern of showing where we stand with God. Because before you can present yourself to God, you have to understand where you stand with God. We are in a culture where naturally we always wonder what other people think of us. And we're always doing things in response to how other people think of us. Not necessarily you in general, but just as a world. It just makes sense that some of that false belief is going to infiltrate our identity with Christ. And we're going to ask the question, what does God see when he looks at me? What does God see when he looks at me? This next part's going to challenge some of how you think, some of you, and why you have certain ideas about God. How does God see me? Well, you know how God sees you is because of his mercy, he sees you the same as he sees Jesus. In Romans chapter 3, it says, you don't have to turn there, I'm just going to read it to you. But now a righteousness from God, apart from works, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, and there is no difference. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. That's Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through 24. See, work says that if you're going to have a good relationship with God, you need to do something to get that relationship. Does that make sense? You have to produce something or else God's not going to accept you. And Paul throws this right out the window. And he says, when you were still in your sin, before you did anything to earn God's favor or God's love, he died for you. Which means the righteousness that we have, none of it comes from us. None of it. None of it. None of it. In Greek, that word means none. All the good deeds we do don't do anything to change God's view of us because God's view of us has, made, has been made permanent in Jesus Christ. Which means when we were diapers, when we were in our diapers of Christianity, before we could do anything on our own, Jesus had already given us his righteousness. 
So the first thing you need to know is when you're following God, it's not about your works. It's not about what you do to earn God's favor. It's already been done. The second thing, Romans chapter 5 says, You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before we could bring anything to the table to win God's affection, he won it for us. Romans 8, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. This is one that rocked me the most when I became a believer. God's not mad at you. We still believe, many of us still believe, that God is mad at us, which is why we have a hard time presenting ourselves to Him, because if we present ourselves to Him, that means that we need to confess every little bit of sin we've ever done, even though we still believe, even in the confession, we still believe he's mad at us. Because we still believe in general, because that's how the world works. We still, in a lot of ways, believe that we owe God something. And he's saying that the price was fully paid and the condemnation is gone. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God's not mad at you. Some of you need to wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and say, God's not mad at me. Because you still think he is. You still think he's struggling with your sin. No, he nailed your sin to the cross already. And he's going, no, no, I, that's gone. I already took care of that. But some of you wake up in the morning and you still think God's going, shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have done that. Told you not to. Now you're going to come pray to me? How dare you come pray to me? Folks, all he wants is for us to come to him because your sin was taken care of on the cross. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God's not mad anymore. When you put your faith in Jesus, he's not mad. One of the reasons we have a hard time presenting ourselves to Jesus is, is because we think we have to make it right with Jesus first. And we don't know how to do that. Do I go to church more? Do I tithe more? Do I read my Bible more? What do I do to make it right with Jesus? Jesus made it right already. So now we can then worship him as a child of him, as one of his adopted children. The last one is Romans 8, 38 through 39, and there's so many more than this, but I have to move. God's love for us is unchanging because of Jesus. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's love towards us is unchanging because Jesus is unchanging. Which means when the world or when circumstances, when our country's falling apart and we're shooting each other, none of those reflect how God feels about you. That's a lie from the world that says, God must be mad at you. I'll tell you what, I've always secretly had a fear of getting struck by lightning ever since I got into ministry. 
even though I knew it doesn't reflect God's heart for me and it was just chance, I always was scared that everybody else would think that God was striking me with lightning. Because even though I get that, most people don't. What about that guy who's been struck like five times and lives? True story. Nothing in this world can separate us from God's love for us. So, so, so this is a little recap of what's been happening from Romans 1 through Romans 11. It's almost the closest thing we have to a step-by-step theology. You don't understand the gospel if you haven't studied Romans. I really believe that. Because if you don't study Romans, you're going to enter God's plan with an idea that you still have to do something to earn his love. You can even interpret this, this passage we're studying, Romans 12, 1 and 2, from the perspective of you have to earn his love. And what he's saying is there's nothing you can do to earn the love that I poured out on you. And before you can approach Romans chapter 12, you have to grasp that on some level. Because you did not bring anything to the table. Jesus brought it all and then just gave us an invitation. It doesn't matter how religious or unreligious you are. It doesn't matter how righteous you think you are or how wicked you think you are. Jesus died for the ungodly when we were ungodly. Our righteousness is because of him. In our discipleship school, we we call it a merit mindset or a mercy mindset. When we have a merit mindset, when we think we have earned a place with God or we've earned a place away from God, we won't come to God, or we'll come to God with an entitlement. God, I need you to save my job. I've been going to church almost every week for 10 years. You owe me. That's a merit. That's a merit mindset. Or what about the other type of merit mindset? There's no way he could love me. I still struggle with There's no way. How could he love me? Both mindsets come from a place of, God, I partnered with you. And either I'm doing really good or I blew it. But it's, it's not all about you. It's me and you. And when Jesus went to the cross, he died for us before we could do anything. Before we could do anything to earn his righteousness. And it was given to us. Why do we present ourselves to him to be transformed? Because of his, great, because of his mercy and grace on us. That's why Paul says, I beg you, I beg you, before you do anything else, offer your bodies a living sacrifice. So the next one is how. Offering ourselves as a sacrifice to God. Offering ourselves as a sacrifice to God. See, I, this is like the NIV version. I like, in place of the word offering, I like the word present. Present yourself. That's how the ESV does it. That's how the, the New King James. I just, I, I, I memorized it that way. But in my mind, I like the word present yourself. So how do we get become transformed? We present ourselves as a living sacrifice. We present ourselves as a living sacrifice. Present yourself just means that you are laying yourself before God. And what I love about this is we present ourselves so that God will transform us by renewing our minds. And that word renew... I don't speak Greek. Eric, have mercy on me. But there's a few things I understand about Greek. I understand some of the New Testament tenses of the words in Greek. And in in Greek, you have pretty much three tenses of of a basic word. You have passive, active, and then you have like a middle tense. Middle tense isn't passive or active. So a passive word means I did something. I mean, an active word says I did something. Passive word says I didn't do something. 
But a middle word means somebody did something to me. So it's still to me, but somebody else did it. And that word renew, when he says, I'm going to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that's a middle tensed verb. Meaning that that somebody else is doing the work of that word for me. So in essence, when God's renewing us, it's not that we're renewing ourselves. Because if if it was about me renewing myself, well, then I'd have a whole list of things I have to do to, to renew myself. But it's not about me renewing myself. Jesus is saying, if you present yourself, I'm going to renew your mind. My active part is presenting myself. My active part is laying my life on the altar. It's his job to renew my mind. See, you can't understand that if you have a merit mindset. If you have a mindset that you have to do something to win God's favor, you have to do something if you want to be transformed. And he's saying, no, no, that's my work. My work is to renew your mind. Your work is to present yourself as an offering. Now, a living sacrifice is an oxymoron. Sacrifices by nature are dead. Just so you know. Those die. But we get to be a living sacrifice, which means we get to be an ongoing, continual sacrifice. And when we get to present our lives, we get to lay our lives down at the altar of God. I I like to think it's a a continual thing. So when you present yourself, that's not, I presented myself in eighth grade at summer camp. So now I'm being renewed. No, presenting is a continual thing. I present myself to God every single day. Day. Because every single day the world's trying to push me into its form. And every single day I have to go, God, my life is yours. I think the most powerful prayer a Christian can pray is a daily prayer of, I want to live for you today. My life is yours. You don't have to give God specifics all the time. Sometimes you just need to say, God, my life is yours, and I'm presenting my life to you. See, following Jesus is an active, it's an active part of us just saying, God, I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to present my life to you, and I'm going to let you do what you want with my life. This is where that outward conforming versus transformation comes from. See, when we're being conformed, it's because outside pressures are turning us into something, but transform is when we're trusting in an inward power, not a Tony Robbins power, not a conference power, an inward power. Or we're trusting in Jesus to do the work inside of our lives. Or we're trusting Jesus to do a supernatural work in our lives that we can't do on our own. That's why we present ourselves to God. Um, the word sacrifice, I think, is just such an uh, awesome word. See, when we sacrifice, we're doing something that isn't for me. It's not coincidence that Jesus says, Or Paul, quoting Jesus, says, it's not about you, it's about me. You didn't bring yourself to this place, I brought you here. You didn't give yourself righteousness, I I got you righteousness. You, God isn't mad at you because of me. But then as we hit chapter 12, he pushes it forward. He says, you need to still continue to lay your life down because that's your sacrifice. That's your reasonable service. So we offer, we present our lives as a sacrifice to him. And folks, that's on a daily basis. That's on a daily basis. Following Jesus means we are presenting our life to him. And, and one of the, I, I told you earlier, I said, God's not mad at me. That truth rocked me because I grew up thinking God was mad at me all the time. And knowing that I can come and I can present my life to him without fear of punishment, without fear of shame and guilt, 
without fear of, of not being able to approach him. For the first time in my life, I was able to go, I can present my life to God without fear. Because God's not mad at me. God's not angry with me. God knows all the things I'm hiding. God knows every skeleton in my closet, the lies that I still tell. And for some reason, he still wants me to present my life to him. He's not angry with me anymore. In fact, he loves me the way he loves Jesus Christ. And he is asking me to come and present my life to him so that he could use my life. So that I could be a vessel used for his glory in this world. The last one is the promise to know his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Man, what a powerful passage. I'm going to read the passage one more time. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. What I love about this one is if you have a pulse and you, and you trust Jesus, at some point in your life you're going to say, how does my life live for God's purposes? How, how can I live out God's will for my life? Or what is God's will for my life? What is God's plan? What is God's purpose for my life? Um, that's a scary question. To many of us, that's a scary question. And I love how Paul answers this. When you present yourself to God, he's going to do his inward power and he's going to renew you. And when he renews your mind, he's going to be transforming you into the image of Jesus. And then he's going to prove his will through your life. He's going to prove what he desires in your world simply by you presenting yourself to him. He's going to do the rest. You want to know what God's will is for your life? Present yourself to him, and you will live out God's will for your life. Present yourself to him in prayer. Present yourself to him in the word. Present yourself to him in worship. When we lay our lives down and we present ourselves to him, you will prove God's will for, the rest of, for your life to the rest of the world. I don't know about you, but don't you want to see God's will for Camas Valley? <laughs> Don't you want to see God's will for your family? Don't you want to see the kingdom of God invade your workplace? Don't you want to see the love and the compassion and the grace of Jesus seriously like saturate your relationships, your job, your neighborhood? I don't know about you, but I want to see the power and presence of Jesus all around me. And he's giving us a quick little Cliff's Notes. Spark Notes, is that what you guys call them now? Spark Notes? It used to be called Cliff's Notes. And for some of you, you just had to actually read the book. But <laughs> that's a different topic. I love that he's saying if you want to see the person of Jesus Christ invade this world, the way you do it is by each and every one of us presenting our lives to him. When we present our lives to Jesus, he will prove his will in this world. It's not a matter of, of, of something specific we do. It's not about going somewhere specific. It's not about doing something specific. It's about being Jesus by presenting our lives to him. What is shaping you? What is it that's shaping you? 
we all have to answer this one honestly. It doesn't matter how much religion you have in your life, how much you go to church, how, much, how many memory verses you've memorized. It all comes down to what is shaping you? Are we going to be a people who are going to be constantly, consistently presenting our lives to Jesus, trusting him, giving our, 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 our will and our desires to him on a daily basis and saying, God, my life is yours. You live through me. God, my life is yours. You live through me. God, what do you see from my life today? My life is yours. Otherwise, we are going to be shaped. I can't emphasize that enough. We are all being shaped by something. Are we going to be shaped by God? Or are we going to be conformed into this world? You know, Jesus, and I'll just close with this. When Jesus came on the scene in, in the Gospels, um, he spoke very harshly to one specific group of people. And they were the religious. And it was because on the outward, they looked like they had it all going on. They looked like they had all the answers. They looked like if anybody had earned favor with God, it was them. To the point where they even said, thank, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that sinning tax collector. Thank you that I'm a religious man. And you know, Jesus, he spoke harsh, the most harsh to them. Because they're the ones who, they were so concerned with looking like they had it all together. That their heart, he actually says they were like dead man's bones. It was like a tomb. It was beautiful on the outside. It was dead and stinky and rotten on the inside. And it's time that we, we need to take that to heart and go, are we letting the world shape us, even if that means we put on all the religious attire, we put on all the rules and all the stuff like that, or are we going to be shaped inwardly by inward power by Jesus Christ? Are we presenting our lives to him to be transformed? I don't know about you, but that's why one of the values of our church <coughs> is transformation. Is we, don't want to be a, we don't want to be a church where people go, man, they got it all together. They don't fight. I mean, look at how they dress. They're so awesome. They're good looking. They have nice houses and beautiful lawns. Everyone's like, you got to go to Mountain View Fellowship. They have boats. You know, I don't, I would love, I would love as a people, people can look at us and go, they don't have it all together. But they're laying their lives before Jesus. They, they, they're, they're couples, they fight. The kids get bad grades. <gasps> like we're not perfect. We don't have it all going on. But when you come here, you can find an authentic place where together we encourage each other not to worry about what the world says and what other people think and what each other thinks, but we worry about what Jesus thinks. We're, we're, we're a people group that says Jesus is, what Jesus thinks of us is most important. And right now, from what I just learned in Romans, because of Jesus, God's not mad at me. And God loves me. And God's crazy about me. And more than that, God's invited me to be a part of his purposes in the world. All I have to do is present my life to him, and he'll do the rest. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you. Like always, I just thank you. I thank you for changing my definition of who you are in my life. I thank you that when I, when I fall into the lies of the world and think that you're mad at me, think that I have to do something to earn your favor, when I start to think that um, there's, there's a, a measuring stick and, and I'm trying to make the mark and meet the mark, Lord, that you continue to challenge me with your words in Scripture. You continue to remind me that Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, that Jesus paid the price. You continue to remind us that, that because of Jesus, you're not mad at us. 
You're not, you're not holding a grudge with us. You're not waiting for us to get it together before we can present our lives to you. Lord, I pray if there's anybody in here who has been living under a lie that they just haven't been making the cut with you, that you would reach in and get their attention today. They wouldn't leave this room without having a conversation with you. They wouldn't leave this room without accepting in some way, shape, form that you are you love them. You love them because of Jesus. You love them like a child. You love them like one of your own. And Lord, I just pray none of us would walk out of here thinking that we've fallen short or that we're not enough, but that we can recognize that we don't have to be enough because Jesus was enough. Lord, I pray that as we as we go about our lives that we wouldn't take transformation and presenting ourselves lightly. Lord, we're being shaped by somebody. Lord, I pray that we'd be being shaped by your inward power by presenting our lives to you. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we just ask all these things in your name. Amen.